0: You find this a lot, especially in program design over time, is things just keep getting added. Mm -hmm. So that 45 minute session becomes an hour, becomes an hour and 15, becomes, you know, because you just keep adding. And at a certain point, it is way more powerful to identify what you need to delete than what you need to add. You can call it a needs analysis. You can, you, there's lots of different tools that, that can get you there. But when you look at it, and, and for me, kettlebell training has been such a focus for so long because it's so efficient, because there aren't, I, I check so many boxes yep. by completing a swings and get up workout that I don't need the 10 other things that could potentially get me some of the similar benefits. Right. So it is, that, it is that process of, cool, you're going to add something what leaves.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined in the line later today by Brett Jones. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what is new in my neck of the woods, and I will do my best to keep this brief. Not a whole lot happened in the last week, mostly because we were on fall break. It was awesome very much needed if you had followed the, the three or so weeks leading up to that there was a lot going on in life needless to say i was working evenings we are in the process of moving out of our old space now known as ifast 2.0 we are still in the process of moving into ifast 3.0 so there has just been a lot going on and it was really nice to get away and just spend some time with the family Went down to beautiful Panhandle, Florida. I know Panhandle's not a city. Technically, we are in Seaside, but it was just great. Had a big house. Uh, since we split it four ways, had a pool in the backyard. Had the beach a half mile away. It was just great to get away. Very warm there. You know, like eighties every day. And of course, it's even more noticeable when you come back to Indiana and it's not sunny. It's rained for the last two, two and a half days straight, and it's cold. I think the high is in. You know, the mid to upper 50s. So needless to say, it was nice to get away. Nice also to be back, believe it or not, even though the weather has not been cooperative. The break gave me some much needed time to just breathe, decompress, get an idea as to what needs to happen in the next three to six months to really push all of the things forward. So when I say all the things, that means family life, Get making sure the kids and Jess are are taken care of and we continue to grow and evolve, making sure RTS continues to to move on the path and the trajectory I wanted. So I had time to think about the podcast itself, time to think about the cert, what I want to do with that, bring some seminars back to the table. I don't know if the Midwest or Physical Prep Summit are necessarily back in the cards just yet, but starting to do some smaller events uh, that I'm I'm pretty excited about. And I'm sure you'll be hearing more about those. So Excited to get some seminars up and running off the ground. Things I need to do to get IFAST where I want it to be. Getting our internship program rolling uh, at a high level. Not that it isn't right now, but just trying to get more high quality applicants in the door because I feel like that's something that we've struggled with a little bit here lately. We've been lucky in the sense that we have gotten great interns, but we haven't necessarily gotten the volume that I would like. So all kinds of things buzzing through my brain given me some time to start working on it. I've just cranked work this morning, so it feels good to be back uh, and just excited to continue to hopefully provide value to people such as yourself, the people that come into iFast, because that's what it's all about, man. I want to make sure we're providing great value for anybody that comes in contact with us. So whether you're a client, an athlete, a customer, if you do business with me, I want to make sure that you're getting the most value for your time and for your money. So more to come and I will fill you in on all of that, but man, this week's episode is just really really strong. Brett Jones is a guy I've known for shoot, I was thinking about the other day, probably 13ish years. In total, maybe a little bit longer. I'd known of him for longer than that, but somebody I have a great deal of respect for, taught me a lot about kettlebell training early on, and the guy has quite the story. He's been through quite a battle over the last couple of years. So I'm really excited for you to hear from him. So we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Brett. It seems like almost every day, I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in this industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification takes the last 20 years of my life's work and puts it all into one massive course. In it, you're going to learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. One of the best pieces of feedback I've gotten about the Complete Coach Cert is that people that train gym pop people and people that train high-level athletes and everyone in between is taking something away from the course. You also learn how to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. You're going to learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. And last but not least, I've got an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Now of course there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification only open twice per year for a limited time. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will open soon and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens to get on that insider's list. Just head over to complete certification.com again, complete and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you'll pick up a copy of the complete coach cert when it launches. Brett Jones is grateful to the many mentors who have provided opportunities for him and allowed him to stand where he does now in his career. Brett is the director of education at StrongFirst, the school of strength founded by Pavel Satsulin, who introduced Russian kettlebells to the West in 1998. Brett has been teaching and swinging the kettlebell over the past 20 years, as well as consulting with professional teams and athletes worldwide. Despite his experience and expertise, Brett continues to evolve his coaching principles and remains dedicated to developing the fitness industry's quality of education. Brett joins me today to share what he's learned over two decades of teaching and coaching kettlebells. He discusses the importance of movement screening and evaluation in training, and explains why coaches need to do a needs analysis on their program design. He shares how his training philosophy has evolved throughout his career, and last but not least, Brett also describes how he got back into his training after battling and beating cancer. This is an awesome episode. It was so great to catch up with Brett, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. But enough for me. Let's do this, Brett, man, Thank you so much for coming on the show here today. It's been far too long. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: One hundred percent, Mike. First off, uh, it is fantastic to have the opportunity to be on the podcast and speak to you and your and your audience. We were chatting a little bit before we hit the record button, and uh, you know, I was there in two thousand eight. 2009 yeah. to do a kettlebell workshop and um, spend some time and put on an epic eating display. That's yes. uh, one of the fine uh, restaurants <laughs> there. It's been far too long and it's just great to have a chance to reconnect. So the long story of me kept medium is bachelor's degree in sports medicine, athletic training, uh, master's in rehabilitative sciences got certified at the second ever kettlebell certification in the States by Pavel in February of 02. Oh, yeah. I'm also an ATC and and CSCS. (laughs) Spent some time working with Greg Cook and and 2006 started traveling, teaching and and really developing uh, what became the Secrets of series and the level two workshops for for FMS. Yeah. Currently director of education for Strong First. As I like to say, I I just I do stuff. I I seem to seem to stay plenty busy.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about this. I believe I actually had you on the old podcast. Now, I could be wrong about this, and I, somewhere I have all of those archived, but uh-huh. regardless, those are archived. So I would love to hear, like, what led you to the world of physical preparation? Like, how did you get started in all this?
0: Two things. My father, first off, first and foremost, set a great example of, now, not at first. My <laughs> dad was as he likes to put it, he was a professional smoker and was putting away like three or more packs a day. And oh, man. Uh, he would smoke cigar and pipe and and inhale. Oh, wow. um, so he was, like I said, he referred to himself as a professional smoker and he stopped cold turkey <laughs> okay. and gained weight, then started exercising and has been a consistent exerciser now for 40 some odd years. And so I would watch him. I knew that he was, I wasn't awake, but I knew he was getting up at about quarter to five in the morning, go to the gym, work out, come back home. And so just, you know, had that example and then started wrestling in junior high and high school. And I was a little bit of a strong kid. I was always good at pull-ups.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, when I was a kid and of course reading Arnold's encyclopedia bodybuilding and things like that, I'd go down to start my training. I'd do six sets of 12 behind the neck pull-ups and then flip around to the front and do 20. And then I was ready for whatever else I was going to do that day. So I, that was really kind of the the start. And then I had some injuries. Hurt my back in uh, my 10th grade year. Somebody thought it was really funny to run across the wrestling room and spear me in, in my low back, which pretty much started a lifetime of of on and off back irritation. Right. So I had a few things happen. I had some physical therapy. Got interested in becoming a physical therapist. Okay. And then I found out you had to do things like physics. And I was <laughs> like, well, no, right. <laughs> but I could be an athletic trainer. So right. I went to uh, High Point University and went to the, the athletic training program there. And that just kind of started me down the path of a more clinical path. But then as I started work as an athletic trainer and realized that uh, I did not want to do that for the rest of my life, right. and that's, that's probably a subject for another podcast, <laughs> and the, the trials and tribulations of the athletic training profession, right. I started running a hospital fitness center in um, Clarion, PA, and that was kind of the beginning, the transition into the fitness world. You know, athletic trainers tend to be very reactionary. Yep. We're great with handling things that happen on the field and court and rehabbing those and getting people back to to play. But, you know, really getting involved in the conditioning side, that physical preparation side is something I, I think should be emphasized. And, you know, transitioning into fitness just allowed me to to do that with with various clients and people that I've worked with.
1: Yeah, I love that. So talk to me about how that transition came about, right? So you start doing more on the physical fitness side, but that's, that's a far stretch from where you're at today, right? And the work that you've yeah. done with FMS, the work you've done with Strong First. So so talk to me a little bit about how all that came about and how that all evolved for you.
0: I've been very fortunate. I've just been very blessed and fortunate to have tremendous mentors and people that have uh, provided opportunity and opened up doors for me. Now, I felt like I had the skills and the ability to capitalize on yes. those uh, opportunities but you know, I wouldn't be here had I not gone to that second ever. Cause I had worked with gray from 95 to 97. Don't let the baby face fool you. I'm <laughs> a little bit older, uh, just, just turned 50. And so from 95 to 97, I worked with gray, uh, at my training room and in his clinics and then lost touch with him. And we got back in touch in 2006 because I had done getting started with in the kettlebell world and working with Pavel. I put out a DVD that, uh, gray ended up getting and and then we we got hooked back up so i was provided tremendous opportunity through having had kind of this early contact with gray that i didn't know was going to become anything other than a friend right and then when i got certified with pavel a year later and it's kind of funny i made the decision to go to the arnold fitness classic mm-hmm. where the company at the time had a booth and so I made the drive over to Columbus and I'm going to go visit the Pavel and the gang at the booth. And I don't know if you've ever been to the, the the Arnold.
1: Yes. It's, it's crazy. Amazing. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it is. It's great. That's the best way to put it. You know, you go
0: into the expo hall and it's like an hour and a half to get from the front entrance to where the, the booth was. And they weren't that far down the line. Um, so I get there and I start helping out a little bit. And then I look around and everybody's gone they've left us, my former wife and I, they they left us in charge of the booth. So I ran the booth and did stuff for like six, seven hours. And at dinner that night, Pavel uh, said, you know, come be a senior instructor. And so in in April of 03, I started teaching at the certs and, and things like that. And, you know, had I not gone back and been a part of that event, would I have been invited to be a senior instructor or would it have happened three, four, five years later? And I'm sure you can look back at at things that have happened in your life where there's what appears to be a chance meeting or a one-time thing that becomes something incredibly profound. So, you know, in the process of working with Pavel and putting out some information, got back in touch with Gray, boom, you know, that, that sets off, uh, you know, a whole other end of things, which is really I think where the athletic training and the strength conditioning really kind of came together yep. through that. And so, yeah, that's kind of, I've just, I've been fortunate and I've been willing to put in the hours and to uh, take advantage of uh, thing, uh, opportunities that have been presented.
1: Yeah. I love it. Okay. So one thing I'm intrigued by, you know, you mentioned it a couple of times now you were in the second ever RKC. So mm-hmm. what led you to that? Because at the time, uh, it was not a small investment, right? It wasn't the marketing machine that it became later on. So like what, what led you to say, ah, this is something I think I want to check out.
0: So uh, somebody that had worked with me at this wellness uh, center that I was running comes back and says, hey, you should check out this Pavel guy. He has this book, Power to the People. And so I got it and uh, I was immediately hooked. Like I, I I'm like, the the minimalism, the anti-bodybuilding sort of stance, yep. the efficiency, the the focus on strength. I was like, okay, I'm in. And then, of course, now the the marketing machine was a little stronger at that time than than you may have known, uh, because the marketing machine kicked in and you know, the kettlebells were the next thing.
1: Yes. And he
0: had put out the original RKC book, Russian kettlebell challenge book. And I actually got it and I read it and I said, ah, I can do all that with a dumbbell. And I threw it in a drawer. and but it was you know it it kept picking at the back of my head so i pull it back out and i hook up a dumbbell to try one of the the snatch workouts with a dumbbell and when ems revived me i thought i should go get trained in this (laughs) and and that's a joke ems did not have to revive me but it was it was this completely different experience of, of what a training session was And I I decided that I should go get trained in it. I missed the opportunity to be a part of the first one and made the trip to uh, St. Paul to uh, be a part of the second.
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah, I clearly remember you not only coming to our gym and teaching me, but let me give everybody kind of the backstory there, and I'll try not to take too long. But essentially, Pavel had reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I appreciate your work. I like what you're doing. I'd love to let you come experience the RKC and see what it's all about. And at that point in time, literally we had one 24 kilo kettlebell that I attempted to swing, you know, on occasion, but I was like into powerlifting. So I'm like, ah. But I, at that point had the realization that if this is something I'm going to do, like I do all things in my life that I'm serious about, I'm going to apply myself with full vigor. And I'd heard rumors about the snatch test and how grueling it was. So we brought you in and you were very gracious, spent a day with us, and taught us all of the key techniques. So I thought that was great. And it gave me a leg up because I kind of knew what I needed to do. You gave me some some tips on training and how to prepare myself, all super helpful. Now, I will tell you that three days in all of my athletic endeavors in my life was arguably the most challenging in all aspects, right? It's, it's physically taxing. It's mentally taxing. There's like I don't want to say maybe there was like this almost militaristic feel where everybody has to kind of jump on board. And it's very frustrating Mm -hmm. when you can't control the idiot that's taking like 10 minutes to go to the bathroom. And so now we get to do swings or burpees or whatever it was because somebody can't get themselves back from the bathroom. But I tell you all this because I learned a lot from you and from that experience. And I still use kettlebells and coach kettlebells. Now, this is all leading up to my question here. We could do like the hundred millionth breakdown on how to swing and snatch and all that. But what I think is a a better use of your time is, okay, you started in 02. Is that correct? It is. So in 02, and now we're in 2021. So 1920 years of kettlebell experience. What have you changed about your coaching, your cueing, anything as it relates to kettlebells in that time? Because I think that's way more valuable. What have you learned?
0: You know, it's an interesting question because early on so we go back into that oh three when i started teaching at certs and I, I received my first kettlebell late in in 2001 it's sitting right here um <laughs> old yeller as yeah. it's become known so yeah i've been swinging for 20 years i've been teaching for 19 and early on we would spend four hours of a of a workshop just getting people to break parallel in a squat it was, it was just nobody came in with like the requisite mobility. Yeah. And so where we went over the years was um, how do we get people doing this quicker? Now we spend almost no time getting people to break parallel. Everybody, pretty much everybody comes in with a full squat. So the progression for me and what gets me excited from a coaching standpoint is how do I cue you to get you where I want you to be quicker? How do I bring awareness to you? of, of the thing we want to change. Yep. And how do I make that change happen in a much more efficient fashion? And so it's, it's kind of that progression from shotgun to sniper, right? I, I want to, I don't want right. to and scatter 10 different cues. I want to dial in and nail the cue that gets you where you need to be. I was at a workshop with Nick Winkleman before he had put his book out And if you haven't looked at Nick's stuff, and I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to your your audience. If you haven't looked at Nick's stuff, you absolutely should do it. And what I was really happy with when I heard him talk was we were probably 85% there. We had always used uh, physical cues and awareness drills. Um, If I want you to stop leaning back at the top of your swing, I don't tell you to quit leaning back (laughs) at the top of your swing I put my fingers back there, give you a little bit of wiggle room. And then I tell you, don't hit my fingers Yep. and you have to work it out. So that progression and just kind of really diving down into that science of coaching and cueing is really what's excited me over the last few years. Because to your point, 20 years down the road and and having taught more than a couple of people how to swing, yep. I still enjoy it Yeah. and I, I enjoy it because now I, I, I try to bring these rich um, multi-layered cues to people to get them doing something faster and better. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what gets me excited.
1: Yeah. I love that. And it's something that I talk about with our interns because we've got some, some fresh interns there and I've spent a lot of time on the floor here lately. And, you know, they're taking like five, 10 cues or like, try this. No, no, try this. And I'll go up and I'll be like, no, just do this. (laughs) And they have that look of, oh, (laughs) <laughs> and, and, but but to your point, it's like you're surgical, right? You're surgical right. and precise and you've seen so many reps. You know exactly what you want and you know more times than not the exact cue or the exact tactile thing you need to do to get them to understand it. But the problem is that takes time. Right. Right. And, and in today's day and age, again, I think we all probably dealt with this. You want it immediately. So a lot right. of people aren't willing to suffer through some of those reps. So... To the young coaches listening to this, understand it takes time, right? Like just because Brett looks at a swing and does one thing and fixes it doesn't mean you're going to have that same level of success. doesn't mean you can't down the line, but it takes time, right? Absolutely. So, uh, another thing that, that I remember now, I'm, I'm having all these flashbacks of various interactions, <laughs> but beyond the one day that you did, we also brought you in when we did our big seminar, big summit every year, and you did a talk on kettlebells. And something Mm -hmm. that you mentioned there, it still stands out to me to this day. But one of the first things you said was, okay, hey, great. You're interested in getting into kettlebells. I love it. I love kettlebells too. Here's the first question you have to ask yourself. What's coming out? What's coming out of your program? Talk to me a little bit about that. I'm trying to
0: remember my point. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So the point was simple though, right? Like most people we have this additive thought process, right? It's like, oh, in this workout, I squat, I bench, I deadlift. Okay, that's great. But now you don't just add kettlebells in on top, right?
0: 100%, I I got you now. Uh, um, I got one neuron and it finally (laughs) fired. You find this a lot, especially in program design over time is things just keep getting added. Mm -hmm. So that 45 minute session becomes an hour becomes an hour and 15 becomes, you know, because you just keep adding. And at a certain point, it is way more powerful to identify what you need to delete than what you need to add. You can call it a needs analysis. You can, you, there's lots of different tools that, that can get you there, but when you look at it, and and for me kettlebell training has been such a focus for so long because it's so efficient, because there aren't, I, I check so many boxes by completing a swings and get up workout that i don't need the 10 other things that could potentially get me some of the similar benefits right so it is that it is that process of cool you're going to add something what leaves you know if if we were talking to people that live in new york city or live in an apartment in in la or something and you're like what are you bringing into the apartment (laughs) they know immediately something's got to go right because there's just no more space And now I live in a house in Pittsburgh where we have a little bit of extra room. So I can keep bringing stuff in the house. And at a certain point, I look around and go, oh, shoot, I need to take something out. (laughs) Right. So if you bring that thought process into your program design sooner rather than later, things run a little bit better. But then the other end of this, and I'm a big fan of this, this kind of pendulum analogy. Yep. So- we swing from one extreme to the next. We, we visit the middle, but don't stay there. And so if you, sometimes when you really embrace this idea of what am I going to delete and how can I have this minimalist program to get me where I want to go, you're going to end up dropping something that you should not have dropped.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and for me, like that was single leg deadlifts. Mm. Oddly enough, I ended up having a, my right knee scope late in 2019, I think. Okay it's either 18 or 19. And in preparation for that surgery, I started adding some single leg. My idea was I want to be as strong as possible going into surgery so I can right. come out, have an easier rehab. So I started adding back in some single leg deadlifts and man, my knee actually, it improved. I still <laughs> needed the surgery. I mean, right. it didn't fix the meniscal tear, but I'm right. like, man, this is amazing. Why did I delete these from my program? Yep. Cause I went a little, t- the pendulum swung a little too far in that direction of what can I delete? Yep. And so it's, it's always a, a juggling, uh, act.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think too, part of it is just wisdom with age, right? So when you're starting off and you have like five tools in the toolbox, like, oh, well, we squat and we bench press and deadlift, whatever the tools are right. And then as you go on longer, you start to accrue more tools. And so you feel compelled, well, I have this tool, I should use it, just like you said, right? So your 45-minute workout that was kind of swift and to the point because you didn't know much, now is an hour and a half workout. (laughs) And then you start to realize, wow, I'm doing a lot of stuff, but I'm not really seeing progress. So then you start deleting and removing. And like you said, there's a sweet spot there. But I think as you do this long enough, you start to realize kind of where that sweet spot is and where you need to focus more of your time and energy.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, it, and that's it's always the dance, and that that's what makes it continues to keep it fun, right? Yeah. If I had it all figured out and there was one program that I could do for the rest of my life, well, actually, I could do that. Like <laughs> I, I'm 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 an incredibly repetition's not a problem for me, right? You you want to eat the same thing? Like I was talking with my parents about this. I ate the same thing for lunch for like ten years of my school, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, younger school years yeah bologna sandwich with mayonnaise and mustard an apple and like a fruit roll-up and or or like a oatmeal round yeah the old little debbie's yeah that was like close to 10 years every day (laughs) yeah i'm good repetition no problem for me i'm not one of those people that's like i need variety if i think it tastes good i will eat it a lot right if i enjoy the workout i'm good doing it for a while
1: yeah for sure (laughs) Okay, so I don't know if this is still a hot button topic, but I feel Mm -hmm. like for many years, right, kind of in that forums, Internet forums are a big thing and the Internet's really coming of age. There was this like raging debate over the concept of movement screens and correctives and all this stuff. And luckily, a couple years, we're a little bit removed from that. We're all a little bit older and wiser. I'd love to hear your perspective now. What is the role of movement screening, correctives, all that good stuff? What what role should it be playing in our programming, in our training as a whole?
0: Absolutely. And back to the pendulum analogy, right? At one point, it was if you're not assessing, you're guessing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and now we've swung to the other side where everybody, you know, a lot of people are like, "Well, I don't do any any screening. I I let my I let the exercises be my screen. Mm-hmm. And there's a midpoint. The researchers and, and like uh, Robert, Dr. Butler, who has done a bunch of research with the FMS and, and things like that, very openly tell you, it's not everything. It's not nothing. It's movement screening. right? So Howard, you know, and if you, if you sit down with a group of professionals and say, is ankle mobility important? Most everybody's going to shake their head and go, right. "Yeah, yeah, ankle mobility is pretty important. Um, should people be able to squat yeah probably squats good should they be able to operate in a split stance yep probably going to have some lunges or rear foot elevated yeah right that, that probably if you go down the list of what the fms checks pretty much everybody in the room is going to go yeah we should probably be able to do those things well how are you checking to see if people can do that it's not everything it's not nothing there's and you know there's all kinds of criticisms and things that have been lobbied over the years, and a common one is like symmetry. Well, nobody's symmetrical, so right. you're silly because you're looking for symmetry. Well, we're looking for symmetry of score. If you look at the range of what a two can be and all of the patterns, you got a lot of wiggle room, and you can have two very different twos on on each side, and it's still a pair of twos. Right. So the the thing is, and and this is the the question, that my. Elevator speech When people ask me, you know, what it is and why are you doing this? Do you move well enough to have a positive response from your training? Because that's what we're after. Right. If an athlete's coming in and we're going to stress them in a certain way so that they can improve X, Y, and Z qualities, do they move well enough to benefit from the training you're going to do to change those qualities? Let's find out before we start hammering. Right. And it's really as simple as that. And when you look at musculoskeletal risk factors, like ankle's huge. And if, if you're not familiar with the new uh, ankle screen that uh, lives within the lives within the FMS now and, and has uh, coming up on five published uh, studies on it, it's a really cool, efficient way to check ankle mobility and make sure that you're checking that box before you start stressing people in ways that need ankles. Right. So really simply, it's that starting point. It's that baseline and it's managing your minimums. It's not seeking movement perfection. It's manage those minimums. You should be able to at least do X. If you can at least do X, let's get after it. Let's, Let's go after that. And correctives is interesting because now the trend is, well, I'll just do correct exercise and that'll fix everything. I get a little snarky on this one because... Because well, I can be snarky, <laughs> <Right>. and <laughs> the uh, if that's true, if correct exercise fixes everything, the next time something's wrong with your car, hire a Formula One driver to drive your car. It will never be driven with more technical precision than by that professional. Right. Probably not going to fix the car. Right. Or we could just drive the car harder. Right. Because that's the other answer is well, I'll just train through it. Well, okay. Go going a cross country trip when you know you're here, hearing that pinging, and you've turned the radio up, and you're just going to drive it out. It'll just it'll work its way out. Right? Maybe not. <laughs> so there's you know easy kind of snarky comebacks to some of the the questions and criticisms. But how are you going to get started with your person with the person that's in front of you? How are you going to create an individualized approach? Yep. The shift in mindset is to opportunity. Where are my opportunities? Where's my opportunity to create change from a movement perspective that will benefit them and everything else they want to do? And where's my opportunity to actually start pushing on chasing those qualities that we want to improve? So it's not about denial. It's not about failure. It's not about dysfunction. To me, it's not about any of those things. It's opportunity. Where's my opportunity to improve? Where's my opportunity to push and go after the qualities that I want to develop? And, uh, it's holding myself to a baseline.
1: Yeah.
0: I, it happened to me the other day I was on, on a session with somebody and, uh, I'm like, I bet I'm going to find X. And so I checked X and that was not the problem. (laughs) Yeah. But had I not checked, I would have mentally, I would have gone down that rabbit hole and I would have chased that. And when you start chasing something, you kind of almost obligate yourself to find it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, I don't want to do that. I want to have this baseline that allows me to bounce stuff off of it and check all of those assumptions before I start down bad paths.
1: One of the things I'm still shocked by is I couldn't imagine coming in and just cold starting to train somebody, right? Like there's so many ways you can do this and it doesn't have to be the FMS. It doesn't have to be any specific tool. I mean, look, like how can, how are we responsibly training people without any form of evaluation right it'd be like going to the doctor and just okay you're just going to get this drug right like no history (laughs) no background no labs just yeah we're going to give you this because we think this is the problem so everybody can have a different approach but the thing that i find with these introductory type sessions too is it gives you an opportunity to start building credibility building rapport taking that time to understand the person standing in front of you there's movement stuff, there's psychological stuff. There's a lot of things that you can pick up on. And a lot of us don't work in truly one-on-one environments anymore, right? So this may be one of the few times you get to just sit down one-on-one in this very unguarded safe space where they can talk to you about, this is what's going on. This is what I've tried before. So there's just so many benefits to it. And I just can't fathom people not doing it in some form or fashion, right? We can disagree about which method is best, what tool, system, whatever. But like, hopefully we can all agree that taking some time out early on to evaluate somebody is probably a pretty big deal.
0: 100%. And 10 different directions we could go with this, right? Right. Florence Kendall's mystery of the history. Because you should be having people fill out paperwork and history and medical injury and training. And they're still going to forget stuff. Yeah. Just like, I mean, I had a knee surgery like two years ago. And I <laughs> tr- I struggle to remember that it was two years ago. Right. Um. So there's going to be things that pop up when you in the process of screening somebody and you find an ankle that's restricted. And so like, well, it has any, oh yeah, I, I sprained that back in high school or, you know, yeah, that was a problem when I played this or whatever the, the case may be. And they start realizing that, and this person, and and I've had this response from so many, not only people that I've screened, but professionals that I've worked with, come back after having learned the movement screen and things like that. And and one of the common refrains they get from their clients is, "Yeah, um, nobody's ever really cared to look right. at how I move, and maybe try to find some of these things beforehand." And again, I, I'm gonna I kind of hammer away at the ankle example nowadays, yeah. just because it's such a an easy example, and so prevalent and, and so impactful from a musculoskeletal risk standpoint. But if you find that tight ankle and the person comes in and says, well, I'm having trouble squatting and you find tight ankles, well, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Right. I, I, I know that I can go after those ankles and I can probably have an impact on helping this person squat better. Yep. And so again, opportunity, where are my opportunities? And if you look at it from that standpoint and you apply it and just use it as a baseline, it's, it's again, it's not everything. Yep. It's not nothing. It gives me a starting point. And, um, you know, the thing we haven't touched on is when you find pain, Yeah, uh, somebody comes in and says, well, I want to get fit. Well, some things might come off the table because there's a shoulder pain or knee pain or, right. and they they might even not know about it Yeah, because what's getting ready to happen is and, and let's assume that this is somebody who has not been exercising. That person who has not been exercising is now about to ask 10 times more of their body than right. what their daily activities will demand of them. They they could have a knee that doesn't do everything it's supposed to do without pain, and they don't know about it because they haven't asked their body for, for these things. And then yep. you just throw them into an exercise program and they get knee pain. And then, yeah, the the technically correct exercise thing is also interesting to circle back on that for a second because yeah. people are like, well, okay, so I see a problem in the squat. Well, what is it? Is it an ankle? Is it a... T spine or are they not able to, to have good lumbo pelvic control what's what's going on in that squat so if i just jump into the te- technically correct execution and i don't check the movement and i find a problem in in the execution now i got to go back and check the movement anyway right. so why not just do that first let's right. just take it off the table Right, and and to your point, like I'm obviously a fan. I, I, I'm a little bit. And this is an old commercial that most people will not remember, but uh, the old Remington Razor commercial. I liked it so much, I bought the company. <laughs> you know, I I liked it so much, I teach for the company. Right, um, I'm a fan.
1: Yep,
0: have a baseline. Have something that allows you to really individualize that approach. Look for those opportunities, and and those opportunities could be from that quote, corrective standpoint of improving that ankle mobility or giving somebody better lumbo pelvic control, or it could easily identify for your programming. All right, I'm pushing on these five areas right now because I can.
1: Yep, yep. So one other thing that I want to talk about in this vein, because I feel like this is very important to hear. you mentioned the point of, well, we're all asymmetrical. So Mm -hmm. why worry about symmetry? Yeah, when you go through, And you look at research. And when you look at a lot of the data that's out there, it very consistently finds when you have greater than a 10% asymmetry in range of motion, speed, power, strength, a lot of these different factors, it increases the likelihood of injury, right? So it's it's always humorous because they say, oh, well, we're asymmetrical. And just assuming like, okay, so I have this massive asymmetry and I'm just going to let it run rampant. Right. So like one of the things that I always try and describe is, hey, look, I'll have that discussion with somebody. They'll be like, oh, well, this side feels different than the other. And I'll be like, hey, you know, that's okay, Right. We are asymmetrical. The goal is to manage those asymmetries and minimize them. Right. We know we're not going to be just like we're not going to move perfect. We're not going to be perfectly symmetrical, but we're also not going to let these asymmetries run rampant to the point where now we've got potential injury risk going up because we haven't taken care of simple stuff that we could do in their programming.
0: 100%. And so the example I'll go with here is within the shoulder mobility. Okay. Um, if I have a 20 centimeter hand, I can reach between 20 and 30 centimeters and score a pair of twos. Yep. That's a big difference. It right. allows for individual structural differences. And, and I'm a huge fan of looking at those structural differences. Um, yep. I've got kind of square pegs and round holes for my hips. So I, <laughs> I adjust my stance and do what I need to, to train with that. But, you know, so you can have a 10 centimeter difference in reach and still be symmetrical in in the FMS scoring. And so we run into what we would call expected asymmetries. Oh, I was a one-sided athlete. I th- I pitched right. baseball. I was a hockey player, MR. And so I've got a 3-2 shoulder. Okay. I'm not just going to green light that and say, oh yeah, that's that's because of hockey. The things that sit underneath that, your neck, do you have nice range of motion at the neck with no pain do you have t spine mobility can you control your scapulas right well and breathing so yeah. you know there's four different things on the list for me before i ever even think about your shoulder right now if i if i run into that that person that has that expected asymmetry i'm still checking breathing neck t spine scaps now if i if i go down my list and that's green light green light green light green light I'm no longer concerned with your 3-2 asymmetry right? because the stuff that sits under there that would make the foundation for that, all that stuff checks out. Cool. But I start going down that list and your neck's locked up and your T-spine doesn't move to the right and your breathing's funky. Man, I just found three significant areas where I can have a big impact because yeah. if I can normalize your breathing and your T-spine. 10 other things that the screen doesn't even touch on are going to get better. Right. The asymmetry thing is interesting. And some of it is just snarkiness from, yeah. from people that want to criticize. Yes. Um, and some of it is, and it's, it's also become popular. Elite sprinters uh, have some some uh, tissue stiffness that helps them in their sprinting. Yep. For all other athletes, you should probably have pretty good ankle mobility. Right. And the research is extremely clear on this. So and unless your job is to run 100 meters in a straight line <laughs> and that's all you do in life, okay, you, you want to have some tissue stiffness there that facilitates that. Cool. Other than that, everybody else, life is better with ankles. Yeah. So let's make sure they do what they're supposed to do from a movement perspective. How are you going to get started with people? Yeah. And what are you willing to, to miss?
1: I love it. Good stuff. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So changing topics a little bit, and we talked about this before the show, but obviously like we alluded to, it's been a minute, so we've caught up, but you recently had a battle with cancer yes. and I would just love for you to talk to me about that. How did you find out? How did that go down? Like, just give me some insight there, man.
0: hundred percent. 2020 was challenging for a variety of reasons. And for, first up on the list was, was a cancer diagnosis on February 20th of 2020. And so I ended up in October of 2019, I had what I thought was I had eustachian tube pain. Okay. I had ear ear pain. So I go to the doc and he looks and there's a little bit of fluid behind the eardrum. So they start me on standard kind of ear protocol, a uh, little bit of decongestant, a little bit of whatever. Right. Doesn't get any better. And a couple, you know, a little bit later, part of my tongue goes numb. And so I'm like, okay. Okay, I've got this ear pain and now part of my tongue's numb and you know, this is weird, but you know, whatever. So I go back to the doc and uh, he's like, yeah, you will start another round of treatment. Even though I don't see any fluid, let's just assume and we'll start treatment, but we're going to make a referral to an ENT, otolaryngologist, ear, nose and throat doc. And so I go in and have an initial appointment with the doc who looks at me and he says, you know, this is funky enough. Let's get you to our throat specialist within the practice. Just like if you go to the orthopedic, you got the knee guy and the shoulder, right, right. the shoulder girl and, you know, whatever. So I go to this person and we we do a CT scan and the results are kind of like, eh, we don't really see anything significant, but I'd gone on a trip, came back, saw my doc on February 18th and go in the room. And it's funny because the, the first time I saw him, I had, had a Superman shirt on. So he walks in the room and goes, oh, Superman. <laughs> um, and so... Young younger doctor, great guy. Um, I was really fortunate. Anyway, uh, so I go go back in on February eighteenth. He's like, "How you doing?" I'm like, eh, "Everything's pretty much the same. You know, tons still numb, ears still bothering me." He goes, "You know, I got I got an opening for a biopsy, surgical biopsy on Thursday. Let's do it." And I'm like, "All right, let's do it." From a general standpoint, if I have identified the next step, I will take the next step. Right. And so in this case, the next step was, let's find out. Right. And so I go in, I have the surgery, and I wake up to my wife and the doctor. They wheel me into the room, and your wife's usually not in the recovery room. Right. And so he told me, you know, it's cancer. You got cancer. So I had uh, stage three primary tonsillar squamous cell carcinoma. And which resulted in uh, seven weeks of five day a week radiation to uh, chemo infusions, during which I lost 40 pounds, uh, went from 205 down to 164. It was the most challenging thing I've experienced in my life. Um, I was in the hospital three different times during those seven weeks for different things. Um, Chemo sucks. uh, Radiation sucks. I uh, ended up actually. I was on fentanyl patches and painkillers for um, like eight to ten weeks, eight to twelve weeks after, because oh. the radiation actually stays active for weeks uh, after you finish your treatment. Um, so I, I had uh, I had some pretty significant struggles, and uh, you know losing waste, really just wasting away to one sixty four, and I, I've just to give you an example. I ended up drinking these uh, Kate Farms liquid. Uh, meal replacements. Yeah. High calorie. It's like a 12 ounce shake, but it's like 500 calories. Right. Dense, neutral, no flavor. And the with radiation and where they're applying the radiation, you lose your taste and you lose your, uh, your saliva glands. They shut off. Right. So you have no saliva and you do not know how magical saliva is until you <laughs> don't have it. Right. It's And I'm about 75% back as far as saliva goes. And that's probably about as good as it's going to get. So there were days during this treatment course where my entire day was to wake up, take a sip of this neutral, no flavor drink, burn, have incredible pain, take a sip of water, wait for the pain to subside, take another drink. So a 12 ounce drink would take me an hour to an hour and a half to consume.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And then I would, uh, sleep for five or six hours and then I'd get back up and repeat and go back to bed. And so it was, it was, you know, people talk about, uh, they do things to find their limits. I don't recommend this particular way of finding your limits, Right. but I have a better idea of where my limits are now. Yeah. Yeah. That was challenging. And, uh, Thank God for my wife and uh, her support and caretaking. Wouldn't have made it uh, without her. But then three months after treatment, I had my scans. I heard my new favorite acronym, NED, No Evidence of Disease.
1: Okay. And
0: uh, have continued to be clear. I'm I'm, uh, a year and four months or so since the end of treatment. Things are still looking good. And it's just me and a lot of doctors (laughs) for the next uh, three and a half years as we continue to check on me. And um, that was the cancer treatment journey.
1: Right. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. And like we alluded to before the show, but, you know, when you're younger, you hear cancer and it applies to like grandparents or maybe your parents. And now some of us, as we get older, this is like a real thing for us. Right. And obviously we know Alan and and the, the struggles that Alan went through many years ago, but Man, to hear that happen to you is crazy. So I want to hear next because I don't want to leave it on that. I want to hear about like this road to redemption, right? Because obviously I'm looking at you right now. You look very fit. You don't look much different than uh, I would remember (laughs) many years ago. But how did you come back from that? How has your training evolved? Because I think this is relevant. Like There are people that are dealing with this right now. Like How do you come back from this on the back end and get back into shape and feel like you're physically strong and fit again?
0: It's uh, amazing. So first off, Alan was a tremendous source of support and friendship during my treatment. And, you know, talk about somebody that knows what you're going through. Right. You know, he was just he was amazing. He reached out and I've known Alan for years. He was a great source of support. But here I am, I'm X number of weeks, 12 or whatever weeks after treatment, and I'm 164 pounds and I am just wasted away. Yeah. And so for me, and I've restarted my training m- many times over the years. Right. I've had I've had different things happen. I am not a garage kept single owner that was only driven to church. I have mileage. Right. And so I've restarted my training many many times, but this was truly for me starting over. I just was wasted away. So I started back with some a couple weeks of just kind of basic body weight work, just trying to do some pushups and some, you know, air squats and yep. you know, just kind of get things moving again. And then, uh, you know, started back into some kettlebell training. Initially, it was a little more like swings and get ups and just trying to, you know, get things back and pretty quickly realized that I needed to establish my strength base. And so I started doing, there's an old article on it, on the Strong First site, Strength Aerobics. And, uh, essentially, and I'm actually, I've got, I'm almost done with an ebook, uh, on the protocol. And, and it's, this is basically a lot of how I trained coming back. It's a real simple protocol, clean press squat. You can add a snatch. I've got about 30 different variations of, of this thing that I do on a, on an ongoing basis. And as I started to do that, one of the things that my wife did for me, which was uh, very useful and, and I'm thankful for, because I have a tendency to maybe overreach. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's like, you are not allowed to go over this weight period. Yeah, right. And and it was the advice that I needed. It was, and it was a, a guard rails that I needed to be put in place. And, um, so I did a lot of work for me and, and, you know, everybody has their different baselines and, and, uh, I had a pretty good strength baseline. So for me, starting over was the 24 kilo. And realizing, oh my gosh, this thing got heavy. Right, It must have collected gravity. Uh, But doing that protocol, getting back to training consistently and things like that, uh, my weight's back up to about 185. And I'm just kind of at a nice level now. My strength is pretty much back. Prior to cancer and treatment, I was uh, doing a lot of, and I haven't gotten back to training for Sinister yet, but I was doing a lot of swings and get ups with a 48 yeah. and my strength aerobics workouts at that time would primarily be like with a 36 and maybe I'd sprinkle in some sets with a 40 kilo. And I'm back to being able to do those sort of strength aerobics workouts and wow. swings and get ups with a 40 or no problem. And, you know, so I've, I've gotten back. Um, and I knew when I started training again, I knew it would be a year yeah, to really feel like I was back and, you know, during that time, there's different things that I'm, you know, like my saliva came back uh, a little bit. I had to start Synthroid, mm. radiating the neck has a tendency to kind of not do great things for your thyroid. thyroid. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on Synthroid on a on a daily basis now. And, but for me as a professional, so that's me as the person, right. For me as the professional, really kind of relearning all of my skills. Yeah was just a tremendous opportunity for me to have that experience again and to be able to relearn, learn anew all of these things that I took for granted. And that's just made me a better, better coach and a better, better professional.
1: For sure. I appreciate that outlook too, man, because I I don't think a lot of people would have that outlook on it. It would be very kind of woe is me. And, you know, I'm sure there probably were those days, but to have that look of, hey, man, this is a Time to start fresh and look at things through a new set of eyes. That's really refreshing, dude. So, okay. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Brett Jones one piece of advice, what would it be? Relax. Mm. I don't think anybody's Um, ever said that. I like that, though.
0: (laughs) I was talking to my parents recently, and uh, we were talking about a couple of things. I've never been young. And uh, yeah, I just, I was just kind of born an old soul. Um, <laughs> I, I have never, there are times where I'm just not good at fun, mm-hmm. right? I, I just relaxing and having fun. I'm a workaholic. Yeah. You know, I've done various bouts of counseling and things like that over the years. And, and this counselor just kind of worked me right into the corner that she knew I would be in <laughs> and um, asked me a few questions. You know, what's the role of a, of a, of a father work? Ooh, wait. There's probably some other things on the list, <laughs> but that was that was my response. And so, if I could go back in time, relax, enjoy. There's probably ten memes that I could find that would, that would be uh, in that direction. But yeah, that's 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 where I'd go.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot, man. Okay, last but not least, we got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one. And I've realized this is hard. Nobody's asked me this, but I know it would be a hard question. But number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach?
0: You know, it's not one, but it's one theme. Okay. And it is the success of my students. I've worked with people that I've helped walk again. I've worked with people that have accomplished their strong first cert. I've worked with people that have accomplished an athletic endeavor. I've worked with grandparents who could get down on the ground to play with their grandkids again. And no one of those things is a superior achievement because every one of those achievements was important to the person that I was working with. And I enjoyed all of those successes. Yep. And so that's, it, it's when I read that question, I was like, yeah, it's not one thing, but it is, but it is one thing. Yes. It's the success of my students.
1: Yeah, that, that is a pretty powerful one. I might have to steal that. It would be it would be be like uh, same theme. It would be like the success of the people that have worked with us. Right. Like the interns, the coaches that have gone on, the athletes that you've worked with that have achieved certain levels of success good answer, man. I'm going to steal that. Well, and, and that you know, <laughs> to go
0: beyond to the educator side of things, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to provide information that has helped people in their either become a fitness professional or to be better as a fitness professional and to have success with their students. Yes. And so it's, that's one of those things that I, I take very seriously. Yep. And I, and I know that, uh, it's not about me. It's not yeah. about uh, my success. It's the success of the students.
1: Yeah. So just to riff on that for just one moment, I don't want to tease out our lightning round too long, but I mean, <laughs> just just think about it like this. And this is something that I always try and describe to people. They're like, "Well, why do you enjoy teaching so much? Like, not just coaching, but teaching." And I always think of teaching as like that's the the time to leverage your skill set, right? Because now, if I impact 10, 15, 20 coaches. Like how many people do they work with? It's the pyramid effect, right? So coming back to you, the fact that you came and you taught me kettlebells at IFAST. And then I went and did the RKC at the time, you know, and interacted with Pavel and had these other great coaches. Like I'm not joking. Like I've taught hundreds, if not thousands of people how to use a kettlebell over the years. So the leverage that that gives you is really impactful. So I like that a lot, man. That's cool. Awesome. That's cool. Okay, number two, what do you enjoy most about teaching kettlebell courses?
0: It's the light bulb. It's the aha moments. It's the I didn't think I could do the, that moments. You know that that's pretty much it in, in a nutshell. It's looking for those opportunities and and finding those successes. Okay,
1: so one more side note. Just be, again, I'm just having like like all these like <laughs> memories come back, but I still. <laughs> I don't keep in touch with them as much, but people that I legitimately only met one time at the RKC, I still interact with via like social media and stuff. The camaraderie, right? Because there was like a group of 10 of us and we hung out and we were in a group. And when it was all done, we had dinner and drank beers together. It was like the camaraderie you develop was very powerful.
0: And to expand on that for just a minute, because you mentioned the challenge, Yeah. right? Um, it is a physically, mentally demanding weekend. It still yep. is. And th- it is, from lack of a better term, a rite of passage, mm-hmm. which we have so little of in yeah. our society. Yes. And so to be put in that situation, to have to physically perform, to have to take in the information, to be able to, to turn it around and coach people, it's, a, it's, it's tough. And so coming, and then there's the snatch test and the grad <laughs> practice. And you know, there's there's a lot that happens. Yep. And so being put in that situation, one of the things that, that is has been very impactful and, and that I'm proud of over the years is we have a good number of military and former military or first responders who come through the the cert and they feel like they've found their tribe again. Yeah. They feel like that, you know, because there's there's expectations, there's standards, there's requirements. There is that rite of passage, right. and so that is uh, it is impactful, and again, something I take very seriously, and that I'm I'm proud of.
1: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay, number three. This may not be a lightning round question, but I'm going to use it anyway. By your definition, what does it mean to be a leader?
0: Oh boy, you know it's it's interesting because over the years, and as I progressed with Pavel, and as I've done more within with Pavel and Strong First and FMS. I have ended up in this position of, of leading and man, defining that is, is hard. And that's probably why there's so many
1: books
0: (laughs) on leadership, but I think leadership is bringing people, bringing people on this journey and you're, you're bringing them to hopefully just better performance success however you want to define that but how are you going to lead them on that journey and and the the job of the leader is to figure out we got to turn left we got to turn right we you need this piece of information at this time and um and then in the end it's empathy and it's openness yeah i'm open with my vulnerabilities and and the things that i've been through and and you know, that from a leadership standpoint gives me the better ability to be empathetic, to understand what somebody's going through and maybe, you know, help them in a way that other people can't. Yep. Success is kind of a, a theme uh, that's running through this. And I didn't know we were going to end up there, but that's where <laughs> we ended up. But yeah, how are you going to bring people on that journey and how are we going to find success? I love it.
1: Okay. Last but not least, I really want to know the answer to this one. What's next for Brad Jones? All the things that you've uh, been through, all the things that you've done, what's next, man?
0: I'm finally going to put out a book.
1: Oh, nice. of, of
0: some sort, uh, it is going to be on this strength aerobics uh, okay. protocol. So it's it's not a big book. <laughs> it's, it's it's not some training tome. It's right. it's very specific about the the protocol that I've been using. And beyond that, it it's not trite to say that post cancer and looking at death that you're a little more. I still get bothered. Right. <laughs> But I get bothered a lot less. Right. Cause I can very easily flip back in my mind and say, hey, it's not, it's not chemo. Right. It's not radiation. Right. This isn't gonna kill me. Right. And so hopefully that message that I would have given to the younger me is something that I'm receiving now. Yeah. And to relax and and find some more enjoyment. I'm never not gonna be a workaholic. You know, that's it's in the DNA. Right. But I wanna apply some of that towards. Finding some fun, finding yeah. some enjoyment and uh, relaxing a little bit, spending time with family. I was a road warrior for years. Yes. 25 to 30 trips a year for four to five days at a time from 2006-ish. I mean, I started teaching in 2003, but it really right. kicked into high gear in 2006, six, seven. So there were 10, 12 years or somewhere around there where I'm probably, yeah, where I was 25, 30 trips a year. Wow. I've, I've, I've missed too much. Right. And I'll never get that back. Yeah. And that's my first question when, you know, cause people will come up, how do I do what you do? I want to, I want to travel. I want to teach. I want to do these things. My good friend, Mike Perry, who just finished uh, his cancer treatment. I remember telling this to him. We've talked about it many times and because he's like, Hey, I w- I want to do what you do. And I said, that is fantastic. What are you willing to miss?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man.
0: Cause you're going to miss holidays, you're going to miss birthdays, you're going to miss those, those moments that you didn't even know were going to be important, yep. and you're not going to be there. Yep. He had two small kids at the time. I'm like, yep. cool. What are you willing to miss?
1: Right. Yeah. That's a great viewpoint, man. Brett, this was amazing. <laughs> so good catching up with you today. Where can my listeners uh, find out more about you?
0: Let's see. So obviously, strongfirst.com. I'm on the Instas more than anything else and and i am where cool things go to die so if if anybody (laughs) if if it was cool at one point to refer to instagram as the instas then okay it's now not cool (laughs) and i don't think it was ever cool but anyway like i said i'm i'm where cool things go to die so i I think it's b jones sfg or brett jones sfg something like that i'll I'll get you the the correct link applied strength.com is my uh, website fairly active on instagram and it's i've moved away from like facebook um yeah. it's just too it's too political yeah too, too angry
1: I, too political I, and too angry great way to put it the
0: festivus airing of grievances never seems to end yes no it's a daily thing
1: <laughs> again brett man thank you so much for coming on buddy it was really great to catch up uh, mike
0: it was a lot of fun and uh thank you for the opportunity
1: All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Brett. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, he's just an amazing coach, somebody I have a great deal of respect for. And I'll be really honest, I don't know if I would have made it through that first Russian kettlebell certification if it hadn't been for the time Brett took to work with us at IFAST to teach me uh, the foundational techniques and teach me how to do those core movements in the kettlebells the right way from the very start. So, oh, I'm a ton of uh, support. Really respect him. Coming back from cancer, man, just an awesome, awesome episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I've got one or two small favors to ask. Number one, if you're not already, please subscribe to the show today. doesn't matter where you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now, hit the subscribe button, so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. If you have already, I appreciate it. Go one step further, go onto iTunes, give me a rating and a review. Ratings and reviews are a fantastic way to let people know more about the podcast, let them know why you enjoy it, and hopefully, hopefully, get the show in front of more trainers, coaches, and rehab professionals such as yourself, because you know my goal here, people. It is to make the industry a better place. And I think if we continue to highlight the great coaches and trainers that we have on the physical prep podcast, we can continue to do that. So again, my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.